Welcome back to another episode of the Chronic Fatigue and Burnout Recovery Podcast. That's a mouthful sometimes to say. I am your host, Anna Marsh, and today we're going to be talking about nutrition and nutrition changes that support fatigue. I actually can't believe that as a trained nutritional therapist with a master's in personalized nutrition, that it has taken me so long to do a diet or nutrition focused episode. Sometimes the things which are most obvious and right in front of your face are so easily missed. But this week, actually, I had this question on Instagram about where to start when you're making changes to your diet and to your nutrition to support your fatigue recovery. So I thought it was just about time that I did this episode. And um, I'll also just say that this week I've had a little bit of a cold, so you might hear me kind of breathing a little bit differently or talking a little bit differently, maybe a bit more nasally as I record this episode. But the first thing that I want to say about diet and nutrition is that I think it can be something which is, in my opinion, probably because I'm just so familiar with it, it's quite simple. It doesn't have to be complicated, but people can make it more complicated than what it needs to be. And I think that's also because of a lot of the mixed messaging and scaremongering that we receive online. So hopefully this episode today will cut through a lot of that. And um, it can also be complex when we have to personalize for specific conditions and for the nuance that people may be experiencing if they have multiple challenges. For example, if they are a vegan who has to follow a ketogenic low histamine diet for whatever reason. I recently had to create a diet for someone like this, which is why I use it as an example. So that's a very, very complicated approach to nutrition. And sometimes we do need to have these complex or very nuanced approaches in the short term, but we don't really want somebody to unpack and live in that place of a lot of restriction and a lot of complexity with their diet. Ideally, we want somebody to maybe do some more strict dietary changes in the short term and then achieve a better sense of health and well-being and then be able to expand their diet in the longer term. So to a certain extent, nutrition can be quite simple and we can sometimes overcomplicate it, but sometimes, yes, it is very complicated on a personal level. My approach to nutrition is non-dogmatic. So Often, if we look at certain social media accounts, you may see people say things like everybody needs to be keto or nobody should ever do fasting. Fasting is bad or nobody should have to cut out whole food groups or nobody should have to give up gluten. And we get this very like black, white, yes, no, right, wrong way of thinking. And my approach to nutrition is not like this at all. Do some people need to do a ketogenic diet? Yes, maybe. Do some people not really need to do it? Yes, as well. Do some people need to give up gluten? Absolutely. Does everybody need to give up gluten? Definitely not. So there is nuance. And if you're someone who's new to the whole world of nutrition, you're just 
realizing that your diet is something that's impacting you and your energy levels, then this specific episode today is about just getting a grounding of where to start and also peeling back the layers of things that you can be thinking about and things that you can be working on as you look at refining your diet. So how I want to approach this episode is just assuming that I'm meeting somebody who's never really put too much thought into their nutrition and they're just kind of eating like, you know, your average person, maybe like cereal or toast and things like that for breakfast. Maybe they're having a sandwich for lunch and like meat and two veg in the evening. We're kind of going to come in from that level. But even if you are somebody who is more sophisticated in your dietary approach, if you've done a lot of self-experimentation and you've read a lot of books, this could still be really helpful for you in terms of just refining and understanding some things you might be able to optimize even a little bit more. So if I've got this kind of regular human being coming in and they're looking to optimize their diet for better energy, the very first thing I'm going to look at is blood sugar stability. And I won't talk about the ins and outs of blood sugar stability today because I covered that in episode 10. You can always go back and listen to that in more detail. But if someone is eating in a way that is swinging their blood sugar from high to low, high to low, that's definitely going to be impacting their energy day to day. That's also going to be impacting their nervous system day to day. That's going to be impacting their hormones, their neurotransmitters, their mood, you name it. So for a quick win, the first thing we can do for someone is help them to find better blood sugar stability. And then generally what I'm asking for there is, can we make sure that every meal has a protein source, has a carbohydrate source, has a fat source, and has a fiber source? And in the beginning, I'm probably not going to be too fussy and I'm not going to nitpick about where these different sources come from and the exact amounts of these different proteins, carbohydrates and fats in terms of macronutrient content. But I'm just probably going to be looking at having someone achieve a little bit of a better balance. And once they're doing that, once they're maybe having some eggs at breakfast time or maybe even trying like a savory breakfast or maybe they're, you know, switching that sandwich for a salad at lunchtime and they're getting in more good fats and fiber. And usually I find with most people, their evening meal is pretty good because it's a cooked meal. There's usually a protein source there. So um, there's vegetables usually being added in. So once we've kind of ironed out those major meals and maybe switch snacks up a little bit if the snacks are needed and for you know better quality snacks maybe snacks like nuts or some berries a little bit of dark chocolate coconut yogurt things which are generally sort of higher in fat um, then we're probably going to see that that person's blood sugar is going to stabilize now that's on a very simplistic level because different people will have different carbohydrate requirements. And we're only really going to know what specifically works for that person once we start blood sugar monitoring. But it's too much usually in the beginning for people to be making these dietary changes and then monitoring their blood sugar all at once. So that will come later. But the first thing we're looking for is stability. 
build the foundation of stabilizing the body, stabilizing the blood sugar, and then we can move forward from there. So then the next thing we might want to think about is decreasing inflammatory foods. And this is probably happening already as we're making changes to stabilize blood sugar. But specifically what we want to be thinking about decreasing, and it's not completely avoid, it's just decreasing, reducing, is processed foods, so things that aren't in their whole and single ingredient state, sugars, sweets, chocolates, confectionery, seed oils, not the beautiful cold-pressed oil you may have in your cupboard, but the seed oils we would find in fast food, processed food, baked items on supermarket shelves, these types of things. And then gluten and dairy, not always. So depending on the person, usually if they've got some autoimmunity in their family history, if they've got a lot of GI symptoms that are problematic for them, then I might suggest a complete gluten removal. This is something I would always make this recommendation on a case-by-case basis because it can be quite tough. Um, Maybe dairy as well. I usually don't jump to dairy unless the case sort of suggests that it could be helpful. We really want to get people moving forward, taking out as little as possible. So I'll only take out these types of foods if absolutely necessary. But we just want to reduce the inflammatory load on the body by taking out foods that can be potential inflammatory triggers. So that's step number two. Then we move into step number three. So I usually like to get people to focus on what they can eat instead of what they can't eat. So although I said reduce and cut back on some of these inflammatory foods, what I really want people to be focusing on actually is what they can increase, what they can have more of, what they can enjoy more of. And this means increasing foods which are supportive of inflammation in the body. And this might be looking at good quality fats, the avocado, oily fish, olive oil, nuts and seeds, olives, and the natural fats we may get in good quality grass-fed meat, maybe eggs. And if you can, you can always buy omega-3 enriched eggs. So we're trying to increase the good fats in the diet and Depending on someone's age, they may have grown up with the messaging that fat is bad and we should restrict fat intake. And actually now we know that carbohydrates are more of the problem because of the way that blood sugar influences inflammation and how high levels of insulin influence inflammation. So we want to be increasing fats in the diet because they taste good, but they also keep people full. And then obviously, if people are having any issues with fat digestion, that's a whole other story in terms of how we support that. But we're just sticking to basics for the purposes of this episode today. We also want meals to become protein centric. So I encourage my clients to center their meal planning and preparation around the protein source. What protein are you going to eat at breakfast? Is it going to be eggs? Is it going to be bacon? Is it going to be smoked salmon? Are you going to add some protein powder into a smoothie? Sometimes I just eat chicken salad for breakfast. It doesn't have to be a traditional breakfast food. I went through a phase eating lamb chops for breakfast, sometimes even steak for breakfast, but 
Whatever your choice is, it doesn't matter if it's a vegan protein source or you're eating a bloody red steak. The most important thing is you're getting a good amount of protein at breakfast and at every meal. And then you're thinking about what protein am I going to have at lunchtime? Am I going to have a chicken salad? Will I have edamame beans in my salad? Will I have um, fish? How will I have my protein at lunchtime? And then finally, the same for dinner. What protein source am I going to eat for dinner? Because naturally, usually with protein, we'll get some fats, but we may also be adding fats in terms of maybe if you have a side salad or use a salad dressing, there'll be fats coming in through there. And then we're adding in plants to complement the dish. So what we're looking for here is a plate of food, which has a variety of different colored plants. Ideally, if you think of a big sort of dinner plate in front of you, half of the plate should be filled with plants. And I encourage my clients to eat the rainbow. So there'll be some greens, there'll be something red, there'll be something yellow, maybe there'll be something white, maybe there'll be something purplish or blackish um, or brownish. So there's different types of colors that we have and we want to make sure maybe that there's at least three, if not more. And across the day, maybe we're eating at least one of every different color of plant. The other little goal I set my clients is to eat 20 different plant-based foods per day. So that means if they're having a salad and there's some lettuce that goes in there, there's some tomato that goes in there, and then some celery and cucumber, that's four different types of plants. If they then add some basil into that as part of a salad dressing, that's five different plants. Then maybe they are having a curry in the evening and in the curry there's onions, garlic, cumin, coriander, you know, all the different spices, then, you know, it's one plant for onion, one plant for garlic, one plant for cumin, one plant for coriander, and so on and so on. So that across the day, there's 20 different plant fibers that are coming into the body. We know that's really good for the diversity of the gut microbiome and a diverse gut microbiome can be anti-inflammatory particularly eating polyphenols so your kind of bright red purple blue colored foods can be particularly beneficial for the anti-inflammatory properties of the gut so now we have our protein centered meal we have at least half a plate of vegetables feel free to eat more we have our good fats and now we can start to think about eating carbohydrates to tolerance. And what do I mean by that? It means we're only eating carbohydrates of a certain type and quantity that are tolerated within a narrow range of blood sugar. And this is something I talk about a lot more in episode 10, where I do a deeper dive into blood sugar. But if you are eating a carbohydrate, say you have your meal as described by me already, and then you add some rice to that meal. But when you eat that meal and the rice, your blood sugar spikes too high and crashes later then you either cannot eat the rice or you need to reduce the portion of the rice. And this is where we can use blood sugar monitoring to check what carbohydrates work for you or don't work for you. 
And here you can listen to episode 10, where I talk a little bit more about the parameters and the blood sugar monitoring. But ultimately, you're trying to work out what you can tolerate. And for each person, it's going to be different. So I have some clients who will do blood sugar monitoring and they can kind of just eat whatever they want and their blood sugar seems okay. And then I have other clients and people like myself that can only tolerate maybe some beetroot, some carrot, some butternut squash, maybe some sweet potato in very small amounts, but most other forms of carbohydrate are just a no-go. So this is that extra level of refinement. We're not thinking, I'm going to have pasta tonight, and then the whole meal is weighted on the carbohydrate element, or I'm going to have risotto tonight, and then the whole meal is weighted on the rice carbohydrate element. We're thinking protein first, fats, fiber from the colorful plants, and then we're adding carbohydrates to tolerance, and we only have the types and quantity that we can tolerate from a blood sugar perspective. I also just wanted to say here, again, when I'm first working with clients, this is kind of, we're not necessarily weighing and measuring food or tracking macros, but sometimes that can be helpful, especially if somebody needs to lose a little bit of weight. It can be helpful for them to know in the short term, do some macro tracking on an app like MyFitnessPal, work out and understand how much they're eating each day. Are they overeating? Are they undereating? And then also, how is that broken down in terms of proteins, fats, and fiber, and um, carbohydrate. So usually most people, especially if they have chronic fatigue, they're not that active. So they're not going to need a huge amount of carbohydrate. It could be anything from 50 to 100 grams a day. And then we'll have protein needs to be decent so that we're maintaining muscle mass. Muscle mass is anti-inflammatory. Muscle mass is just so important for the body, for your health, and for essentially longevity. So we want to make sure the protein intake is decent, maybe one and a half grams to two grams per kilo body weight. So if you weigh 60 kilograms, that's 90 to 120 grams of protein per day. And um, if you work in pounds, that's basically like 0.75 to one gram per pound of body weight approximately. So that's a level of refinement. Again, with fatigue clients, I don't usually do a lot of macro tracking. It's actually very seldom these days that I do a lot of macro tracking. But previously when I ran a weight loss program, obviously macro tracking and understanding these breakdowns was a lot more important. So we've got a good blood sugar stable diet. We're excluding these pro-inflammatory foods. We're increasing the anti-inflammatory foods. What next? So here's where we can get a little bit more advanced. Um, if somebody has an autoimmune condition, um, then I might be thinking a little bit more about food sensitivities or what foods could possibly be triggering their immune system. Here we may do like a trial exclusion of like a strict 110% exclusion of gluten and dairy. Or we could, in addition to that, we could take out lectins, which are found in your beans and lentils. 
We might take out nightshades, so things like tomatoes, peppers, chili, aubergine. Those foods may come out temporarily. Or we can use testing maybe to test for gluten cross-reactive foods. So, for example, if someone's celiac, they may be reacting to gluten, but certain foods can also look like gluten to the body, and therefore the body may in some cases react to those as well, even though they don't contain any gluten. And that might be things like tapioca, for example, um, the body may react to that, or some of the other grains that are gluten-free. So this is where, depending on the person, I could move someone a little bit more in the direction of a paleolithic diet because we're naturally cutting out grains and dairy through the paleo template. So that cuts out a lot of the problematic foods. And as I said, this can be quite restrictive, and therefore, I very much assess this on a case-by-case basis, depending on where someone is on their health journey, the symptoms they're experiencing, their current level of stress, their mental headspace, how used to and interested they are in dieting and messing around with their diet. Some people are just too tired and too busy. So it's very much working with the individual on a case-by-case basis with this. But there might be some tinkering around with food elimination here. We can also draw on testing like the Cyrex testing to look for food sensitivity specifically or to look for gluten cross-reactive foods, which I already mentioned. So that's kind of like a very niche area. It's something that you you might want to research and play around with on your own, but it's something that's much easier to do under the care of a practitioner who can assess the appropriateness of it for your case. So then the other thing we can do, maybe step number five, would be increasing your mitochondria superfoods. So just foods that would be supportive of the body and support mitochondria health. So you can listen to episode number 13, where I talk about how to support your mitochondria. But these foods might be things like um, your berries and cherries or your polyphenols, those purple, bright red, blue foods, oily fish, your coconut products, almonds, broccoli, green tea would all be supportive for the mitochondria. We can also think about like superfoods, so things like bone broth, fermented foods. If somebody's open to eating liver, that can be very, very nutrient dense. So when someone's at a level where their diet is just generally quite good and their blood sugar is balanced, and they're just like up for more and they have the capacity for more change, then we can be just layering in foods that just help to increase the nutrient density so that every single mouthful of this person's plate is going to be giving them loads and loads of goodness. But that's more advanced. So if you're just starting out and you're like, I don't even know if my blood sugar is stable, starting to worry about if you've had your green tea or your chicken livers today, it's just not the priority when you're first getting going. Then what we can also think about, if you listen to the previous episode, we might want to think about fasting, even if it's just um, reducing meal frequency, increasing the overnight fasting window, or maybe this person is ready to play around with longer fasts, like a 36-hour fast or a 42-hour fast, or something even longer than that. But again, it's a case of appropriateness. It's not always going to be appropriate for 
every person and it's about timing is it the right time to be doing this is it where you should be investing your time and energy because when we're looking at healing from chronic and complex this either there's usually a lot of different moving parts and we really want to make sure that we're putting our energy and focus and attention on the right part at the right time so hopefully that has given you a little bit of something to think about as you think about optimizing your own diet it might be the case that you're just starting out and you need to stabilize your blood sugar or maybe you realize that your meals just don't have enough protein in them and that's something you want to increase. Or you want to challenge yourself to get in those 20 different plants a day or the different colors. Or maybe you are um, someone who is experiencing autoimmunity and that's something you want to play around with a little bit more. And um, maybe it's just a case of your diet, it's awesome, and you just want to layer in some more of those specifically nutrient-dense foods. If anybody does feel like they need a little bit more help on the nutrition front, I would highly recommend the Digestive Health mini course, which is available on my website. The reason I recommend this is because when you buy the course, you get access to my Beat the Bloat guide. And this has got, I think, 100 pages of recipes that are all sort of gut health, anti-inflammatory, and in some cases, even if you need to do like a lower carb, ketogenic diet, there are recipes there that can be supportive for that thing. So if you are feeling a little bit like you need a little bit more information, you need a little bit more inspiration, you can buy the Digestive Health mini course. I used to sell the Gut Beat the Bloat guide for £37. Now you can buy the whole course and get the guide for £49, so essentially just £12 more. And working on Digestive Health is such a great way to, um, it's such a great I guess, starting point, because as we optimize our diet, we also optimize digestion. So having all the information you need to do both all in one place, just for 49 pounds is such a great um, thing you can do. So if you want to purchase that, I'll include a link with this episode, but you can also just head over to the courses section on my website and you can get started. That is everything from me today. I will see you in the next episode.